Good morning. It's good to be in the pulpit preaching God's Word. I don't think I've been back in the pulpit since the new guy showed up, so I'm glad to be back. And I want to follow his example uh, by just expressing my gratitude to the Lord for the new guy. Amen. He's been such a blessing, I know, to me personally. I know to the church family. Uh, You've been encouragement to me, brother, a challenge to me. And uh, I know that um, we have had many years of great expositional preaching from this pulpit. And whenever we lose someone dear like Mark Livingston, you think we'll never get another and we won't. But we get another great expositor and just a great brother. So uh, I hope that you will express your gratitude to the Lord for the tailors and bringing them to us. And uh, I'm glad to preach. Glad to have my daughter Abby back from college. I'd like to think she came home just to hear me preach, but she's done with her first semester of college. And so I'm grateful for that. And Lord willing, a week from tomorrow, our son will be home for Christmas. So we're excited to see AJ. Uh, my wife is home watching live because she's not feeling well, so I hope you're starting to feel better, dear. I appreciate you praying for Anita. Well, let's look at this passage. It's probably one of my favorite Christmas passages in the Bible, and so when we were assigning passages, I was selfish, and I just snatched this one up before the others. And we are, uh, have been visiting different people in the Christmas story. We visited Joseph. We visited Mary this morning. We're going to be visiting the shepherds. And I have, again, in keeping with Chris's pattern, a big idea. So let's say I can do it as good as he did. The big idea of this sermon is that the good news brings glory to God, provides peace to man, and demands proclamation to the world. The big idea is that the good news brings glory to God, it brings peace to man, It demands proclamation to the world. I'll share with you my outline in just a moment. We've, again, had these angelic visits over the past couple of weeks. The the angel Gabriel visited Mary. Another angel, could have been Gabriel, we're not sure, visited Joseph. And now today in today's text, another angel along with some others visit the shepherds. The first two angels were announcing to both Mary and Joseph, he's coming. The angels in today's passage are announcing, he's here. So there's a difference there. We're preparing him room. The angels are trying to prepare room for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The angel to Mary said, you're going to deliver him. The angel to Joseph said, you're going to adopt him. The angel to the shepherd said, you're going to announce him. It's an announcement. It's an angelic announcement. We're going to see that this good news, this good announcement, good message, let me go ahead and give you the outline points and then we'll back up and address them one at a time, that the good news came to an unlikely audience. The good news called for an unparalleled announcement and the good news caused an unstoppable action. It came to an unlikely audience. It called for an unparalleled announcement and it caused an unstoppable action. We're focusing on this announcement this morning. When I think of announcing news, announcing an event or something, I've never taken any marketing classes, but I think I understand at least the basic idea of marketing, and that is this. When you have a message that you want to get out, you want to get it to the most 
people, right? I mean, that's the purpose of putting billboards in ideal locations or having a business in a busy place of the city. You want prime real estate. You want a prime traffic. You want a prime location. You want the biggest audience you can have. Anytime that I'm trying to put something out for you guys uh, on Facebook or something, I know there are peak times in the week when people are on Facebook, usually in the evenings, scrolling aimlessly. And so I'm going to put an announcement on there because I want the majority of you to see it. Or if we send out a church-wide text, I don't want to do it in the middle of the day when you're busy with 14 other things. I want to do it in the evening when things are starting to settle down because I want to reach the widest audience. I want the most people to hear or to read or to see the message. Advertising is designed to do that, to reach the widest audience and even a targeted audience. And these first couple of angelic announcements reach target audiences. I mean, the angel Gabriel wanted to go to Mary. She didn't just go to any woman or all women. She went, uh, the angel Gabriel went to Mary. The other angel went to Joseph, not just any man, but he went to Joseph. This next announcement is the announcement that Christ has come, you would expect, expect a wide audience. How many people do we want to know that Christ the Savior is born? As many as possible, right? But what we find is an unlikely audience for this grand announcement of the birth of our Savior. So if you look at the text in chapter 2, verse 8, we have the good news coming to an unlikely audience audience. That's our first point. The good news came to an unlikely audience. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. That same region simply means this was close to Bethlehem, possibly right outside of the town within walking distance. And these shepherds, because it was in the region, because it was close to Bethlehem, it's very likely that these shepherds were raising temple sheep. You know what temple sheep are? Temple sheep were sheep that were sold in the temple to sacrifice. Sacrifices that foreshadowed the coming of the Lamb of God. These shepherds are watching their sheep. Not too far away was born the Lamb who would take away the sin of the world. These shepherds, as most of you know, had a particular social status. It was low. They had a low social status. They were shepherds. They worked with sheep. Sheep were dirty and smelly, and so were shepherds. They were near the bottom of the social ladder. They weren't, because of their position, they weren't allowed to testify in court, probably because they were often accused of stealing. They were deceptive. They would sometimes take their sheep to graze in other people's property, which is theft. So they weren't allowed as a credible witness in court. Because they worked seven days a week, they couldn't attend synagogue, and so they were looked upon unfavorably by the religious community. They were at the bottom of the rank. Just a couple of hundred years later after this, Jewish rabbis had created at least five lists of undesirable, even forbidden, even condemned trades, trades by which you did not want to be associated with. And on three of those five lists was the Shepherd. They were unlikely audience for this great news. Unlikely recipients. But this teaches us something. You understand that the very first recipients of the greatest news, of the greatest joy, of the greatest event, 
of the greatest birth, of the greatest king who will save sinners came to the least and the lowest of people. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. God forgive us if we ever think someone is below the poverty level of the gospel. There is no such thing. Might I also add that just as no one is too poor to be beyond the reach of the gospel, no one is so rich that they are beyond the need of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about monetary or material richness or poorness. There are some maybe here today that think you are so morally bankrupt that you're beyond the reach of the gospel. And I have good news for you. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. There are some of you who think you are so rich in your own good works that you have no need of the gospel. I have good news for you. Christ Jesus came to save sinners from their good works. This was the unlikely audience, these shepherds. And the angels appeared to this unlikely audience. Verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they, the Shepherds were filled with great fear. Let's talk about a couple of these words here as we look at still this unlikely audience. This word glory, we've been singing about it already this morning. You've heard the pastors talk about it. Pastor Chris prayed that we would do things to the glory of God. Well, along with the angel appearing to the shepherds, verse 9 tells us that glory shone around the shepherds. Who's Who's glory? are we seeing here? Is it angel glory? Well, perhaps angels are glorious, aren't they? But where do they get their glory? The glory of the angels is a borrowed glory. The glory of the angels is a reflected glory because it is whose glory? God's glory. You see, angels bring with them the glory of God because angels are ministers of God and angels are messengers of God and angels are representing God and angels are reflecting God since angels, for the most part, dwell with God. You are seeing a reflection of the glory of God in the presence of this angel. It's like this. If you have spent a day at the lake or at the beach, some hot day in July, some Saturday in July, and I see you at church Sunday morning and your face is beat red, I'm going to take one look at you and say, I know where you've been. You've been at the lake. You've been at the beach. You've been in the sun. Why are angels so glorious? Well, we know where they've been, right? They are reflecting the glory of God. Just think of Moses. Remember Moses, who only got a glimpse of the glory of God. And that was a glimpse of the back of the glory of God. And that was only a glimpse of the back while God shielded and sheltered him in the cleft of a rock, covering his face with his hand. And that glimpse of the back of the glory of God gave Moses such a holy sunburn that when he came down from the mountain, that his face frightened the people. This is the glory that shone around this angel. Just imagine a creature who has spent their full existence coming in and out of the presence of God, the glory that comes with them. Thus, the shepherd's response. They were filled with great fear. Boy, I'll say. Twice 
Luke tells us that they were frightened. I love the old KJV. They were sore afraid, greatly filled with great fear. That is megaphobias. You can hear those words, mega, big, phobia, fear. This was big fear, really scared. This word, megaphobias, is usually used in response to supernatural events. Sometimes normal events, but usually supernatural events. And I would think an angel appearing is a supernatural event. Listen, my friend, if anyone tells you they see angels often and it's no big deal to them, they're either lying or hallucinating. Because you see in the pattern of Scripture, fear is the first reaction to almost every angelic appearance. Wasn't Zechariah troubled when he saw the angel and fear fell upon him? Luke 1. And then Mary... The angel said to Mary, do not be, what, afraid? Not only at the birth of Jesus, but at his resurrection. Remember when they went to find the empty tomb? For fear of him, the angel, for fear of the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. They passed out. And the angel said to the woman in Matthew 28, do not be afraid. Twice in Revelation, you have the Apostle John who has been given this heavenly tour by an angel. Twice, that angel, though he has been with him, was so glorious that John fell down to worship the angel. And the angel said, get up, you must not do that. I am a servant just like you. This is the kind of terrifying angelic glory that filled the night sky in the shepherd's field. Someone has brilliantly observed and contrasted this night. When Jesus was born, middle of the night, the sky lit up like day because of the glory of the angels. And do you remember when Jesus was killed in the middle of the day, the sky went black under the wrath of God. Nothing less than supernatural and miraculous phenomena for the birth of our King This good news uh, came to an unlikely audience. The lowest of the low with the glorious of the glories. Number two, the good news also called for an unparalleled announcement. This good news called for an unparalleled announcement. An angelic announcement, as we've already said. This angel, verse 10, said to them, Fear not, again, Fear not, for I behold, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. Let's look at those three phrases for a minute. Good news, that's what this is all about. Good news, that is the word we get gospel, the evangelion, evangelion. It's why we are called evangelistic. That's why we are called evangelicals. We believe in the good news of the gospel. It means good message. Angels are called messengers because they bring the good message. That's what it is. It is good news. What does it do? What does this good news do? It brings great joy. What it is is good news. What it does, it brings great joy. I want to clarify this word joy for just a minute. This isn't a childish joy or happiness over maybe the excitement of Christmas or the opening of presents. No, it's much more than that. To understand this joy that the angels are referencing here, you must understand the context of sadness that surrounds this event. 
We're going to talk a little bit more about it in a moment, but know that this joy is coming at the end of a long season of sadness and sorrow and silence. Are you familiar with the 400 years of the silence of God? Since the end of the prophet Malachi in our Old Testament, there had been up until this point 400 years of silence from God. No new prophets, no new signs, no new sounds from Yahweh, nothing. And these angelic visits to Zechariah, to Mary, to Joseph, and now to the shepherds were the first messengers and messages from God in 400 silent years. This was joyous news. They're hearing from God's messengers. It's actually been even maybe thousands of years, we could say, hundreds and hundreds of years since God's very first promise that he would hint at sending a redeemer to fix what Adam and Eve had broken in the garden. You know Genesis 3.15, the offspring of the woman will bruise your head. That's a promise. That's the first evangel, the first good news, the first gospel that God will send a redeemer to fix what had been ruined. And then throughout the Old Testament, all these promises throughout all these years of a coming king left God's people waiting, hoping, trusting, doubting, settling for kings and gods, little g-gods, and idols of their own making. They cry out, how long, O Lord? They cry out, when, O Lord, are you coming? Where are you, O Lord? Hear us, O Lord. Restore us, O Lord. Bring justice to our enemies, O Lord. Be gracious to us, O Lord. Arise, O Lord. Deliver us, O Lord. Save us, O Lord. And that's just from the book of the Psalms. They're waiting for God to fulfill His promises. And these shepherds, like anyone else during this time, had waited now during 400 years of silence. This is why we sing joy to the world for the Lord has come. Amen? Even though that song was written originally about Jesus' second coming, there is still joy coming to the world for sins and sorrows will no longer infest the ground. We sing joy to the world because Jesus comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. You know the words. He comes to rule the world with truth and grace and to make force the nations to prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. This is good news, the gospel, and it brings with us great joy. And here's more good news. It's for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. Right there at the end of verse 10. We've already established the inclusion of the shepherds receiving this gift or this great news ought to let us know that if the gospel can come to the lowest of low, the gospel can go as far as it needs to. The gospel, my friend, is for anyone. It's for anyone. Well, what is this good news of great joy for all people? Well, in a word, we could say the good news is Jesus, right? In a word. But the angel doesn't use Jesus. The angel uses three words, actually three titles for Jesus. Pastor Paul talked to us last week about the name Jesus. Here, the angel uses three titles for Jesus. Let's look at those for a moment from verse 11. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. There's one title. 
who is Christ, there's the other title, and Lord, there's the third title. Remember chapter 1 to Mary, he told Mary, Jesus will be born. Chapter 2 to the shepherds, he has been born. We have here three titles. The title Savior. Savior. This is the idea of one who delivers from danger or someone who rescues from peril. One commentator said it's one who rescues from enemies seeking to destroy or diseases seeking to kill. We have an enemy, the devil, who seeks to devour. We have a disease called sin that kills everyone it infects. He is Savior. His name is Jesus, again, referencing Pastor Paul from last week, which means Yahweh saves. And so if his name is Savior, how fitting for his title to be Savior as well. And one other interesting note, if you're familiar with what Mary said in her song in chapter 1, you might just flip backwards a page to the left. Mary, when magnifying the Lord, says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. God, my Savior. Mary calls God her Savior. The angel calls Jesus the Savior. So which is it, God or Jesus? And you know the answer is, Yes, God is Christ in the flesh. That's his next title, Christ the Anointed One, the one anointed and appointed by God to save sinners. And he is also, third title, Lord. He is Lord. That means he is not only Savior, he is ruler. He is not only Savior, he is Master. He not only saves you from your sins, he is the chief and commander over your life. There is an under, a misunderstanding among churches today that says we can trust Jesus as Savior, but you don't have to submit to Him as Lord. And my friend, Jesus is Savior and Lord. If He is not Lord of all, the saying goes, He is not Lord at all. We submit to Him as Lord. We trust Him as Savior, for He is Christ, the Anointed One. And then things get even more crazy. Look at verse 13. As if one angel reflecting glory enough to scare the shepherds. Verse 11, excuse me, verse 13 says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, multitude. That's a word that means in the modern vernacular, a whole bunch, a whole bunch. It is a group selected out of an even larger group, but it's still a large group, a whole bunch, a large selection from all of God's angels. And then it says it's a multitude of the heavenly host. That word host could mean angel army. This is an army of angels joining the one angel. And if one angel brought glory enough to light up the midnight sky, can you imagine the glory that this heavenly host brings with it? And the irony of the army of heaven coming to pronounce and announce peace on earth. It's glorious. It's glorious. It says they came suddenly. The word could mean unexpectedly. It's, again, often used of supernatural events. And this word, one commentator said, indicates the unusual nature of this event just as much as it does the sudden, quickly, how quickly it happens. 
This is unexpected, sudden, supernatural event, the appearance of the heavenly host. I love what they say here. This chorus of praise. Because there is something happening here. Now we're getting to the heart of the message. And I want to spend a little bit of time right here to the heart of the message of the angels. I hope that you see here two things happening. Think of two directions. Think of upward and think of outward. I want you to think of upward and outward. The angelic message that they're bringing to the shepherds that they're to share with the world has an upward dimension and an outward dimension. Their first part of their announcement is glory to God in the highest. In fact, we just sang it. Gloria in excelsis Deo. That's what they said. So that was Latin and they weren't speaking Latin back then. That phrase that we don't know how to pronounce in the Christmas song, in eggshells cease. That's how you say it, in eggshells. Just think eggshells and you'll be able to sing it better next time. That's what they said, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. What direction is that pointing? It's pointing upward, isn't it? Upward, glory to God in the where? The highest, in the high places. The second part of this And on earth, peace. So in the highest, glory, and on earth, peace. Do you see that transition? Highest, up, peace, uh, excuse me, earth is out. Glory is upward, peace is outward. Glory to God, upward, peace among those with whom he is pleased, outward. Let's look at the first part of this, glory to God. Again, I mentioned that we've already heard about glory to God. Pastor Chris prayed that all of these events, our caroling, our singing, our concerts, our services would all be done to the glory of God because the Bible says whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it all to what? The glory of God. If God commands us to do all things to his glory, don't you think God is going to do all things to his own glory? Of course he is. This here, don't miss it, is the reason Jesus came. This phrase is the reason we have Christmas. Well, I thought Jesus came to save sinners. Yes, he did. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I'm going to suggest to you that that's not the main reason Jesus came. The main reason Jesus came, the main reason God so loved the world and sent his only begotten son, is the main reason we do anything, and that is one reason alone, the glory of God. Christmas is about the glory of God. We are directed vertically to the highest where we see the ultimate purpose in all God does, and that is to bring glory to himself. Listen to just three verses from Isaiah. I'm going to read just three passages from Isaiah, chapter 42, 43, and 48. Listen to God's goal here. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to another. I give to no other. Isaiah 43, everyone who is called by name, who I created for my glory. He creates us for his glory. Isaiah 48, 11, for my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God does all things for his own glory. 
Or as Pastor John Piper has said, if man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, that's the first question in the Westminster Catechism, God's chiefest end, God's greatest desire is to glorify God and enjoy himself forever. This is what the angels are proclaiming. And let me tell you, the baby born, the Savior, the Messiah, who is Lord, who is the King of the Jews, is this King of glory. Listen to Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? He is the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The psalmist asked. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The door has been opened. The sky has been lit. The angels have proclaimed the King of glory is here. And his name is Jesus. This is the upward or the vertical element of this announcement. But I told you also there's an outward element. There's a horizontal element to this announcement. If the greatest goal of God is to bring himself glory, then the greatest work that brings God the greatest glory is the saving of sinners. Look at the second part. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. On earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. God's greatest glory is found, his greatest pleasure is in bringing peace to those who are at war with their maker. This peace is the shalom that we read about in the Old Testament. This peace, John MacArthur says, is not a reward for those who have goodwill, but it is a gracious gift from God who are the objects of God's goodwill, of God's Good pleasure. Your English Standard Version has translated it. Peace among those with whom he is pleased, those on whom his favor rests. He's not rewarding goodwill among men. The angels aren't saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, men and women need to practice goodwill toward one another. No, he's saying that God's goodwill has come to earth to bring peace between sinners and a holy God. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Yes, listen, Jesus' coming is good news of great joy for all people. That's what the angel said. But peace only comes to those who receive him. Peace only comes to those on whom his favor rests. Peace only comes to those on whom he pours out his favor. Peace only comes to those who bow the knee of hostility to God and submit to him as Lord. Peace, as you know, is the absence of what? Of war. Pastor Dave mentioned this a moment ago. Peace has come on earth to get rid of war. And again, as Pastor Dave said, trying to steal my thunder, it's not the war happening around us. It's the war going on within us. Amen? We are born worshipers and warriors. We are born worshipers and warriors. Did you know that? Not worshipers of God, warriors against God. We are born at war with God because of our sin. We're born not worshipers of God, we're born worshipers of self because I love my sin. I love me. I'm a great worshiper. I have been since the day I was born. 
And when God saves a sinner, a self-worshipper, what does he do? He changes his heart so that his desires are to worship the true God and not himself. When God saves a sinner, he brings peace to the warring soul and makes friendship with sinners instead of enmity. You see, we're all far off from God and separated because of our sin. We're called in the Bible enemies of God. Romans 5.10, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. We were reconciled by God by the death of his sin. That's Romans 5. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Colossians 1, Paul says, you were once alienated, that is far off, separated, and hostile in mind. In your own thoughts, you were at war with God, in hostility toward him, at enmity with your creator. Jesus' birth foreshadows Jesus' death, and Jesus' death and resurrection brings the sinner near through faith from a relationship of war to relationship of worship. Amen? This is the good news of great joy for all people. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, Christ himself, is our peace. This is the peace we sing about at Christmas. The peace on earth is a person, and it's Jesus Christ. Oh, this is good news. Amen. This is good news indeed. This is why we love singing Wesley's words. Hark the herald angel sing. Charles Wesley, that is. Glory to the newborn king. Why? Because peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners, what? Reconciled. That's good news. That's why Paul says, I urge you, I implore you, sinner, be reconciled with God. This good news came to an unlikely audience. This good news called for an unparalleled announcement. And just briefly, the last section I want to summarize by saying this good news caused an unstoppable action. An unstoppable action. Really, actions, because the action hasn't stopped. Just a quick look at these last few verses. We won't take as much time in these verses. But a quick look at the action words in these final verses tells us a lot. Just look at some of them beginning in verse 15. Let us go to Bethlehem. Let us see these things that have happened. Verse 16, and they went with haste. They saw it. Verse 17, they made known what had been told to them. Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God. We see in these passages, if I could just summarize them, an urgency to go to Jesus and expectancy to leave speaking of Jesus. It's the only natural response. When you have seen Jesus and experienced that peace, you want to tell others. I know that we're told in the Bible that the wise men or the visitors that probably the next year or so visited Jesus in his home and they bowed and worshiped can you imagine the shepherds doing anything less? Of course not. They probably did the same. And now their lives were set on glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. What about you, believer? When you've come into the presence of your king, when you've bowed your knee before the Savior, as you celebrate Christmas, does it provoke in you praise and worship Great, but does it also prompt in you an urgency to go 
and tell as the shepherds did. Maybe, maybe they went and told it on a mountain. I don't know. But they went and they told it somewhere. Is that how we respond to the gospel? Is that how we respond to Christ? You see, Jesus came as a baby to live the life that we could not live. We were not only enemies of God, we were unable to please him or appease him because our lives are lives of self-centered, self-worship sin. So Jesus came to live that perfect life that you and I are unable to live. Jesus then died the cruel death on the cross in the middle of the day when the sky grew black to pay the price of that sin debt that you and I owe because we can't live his perfect life. And then the Bible teaches that he rose victoriously from the grave, proving that Jesus, the same child in the manger, has the power over sin and death and hell and the grave. And it's through trust in, reliance upon, hope in, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ that you and I can be at peace with God and no longer at war. Amen. My friends, if you're here and maybe you're not at peace with the Lord, maybe you've never bowed your knee to the Lord, I want to implore you, as Paul did, to be reconciled with God today. Because just as Jesus came to the earth here in this text, bringing the glory of the Father, announced by the holy angels, Jesus tells you in Matthew 28, excuse me, Mark 8, that he will come again a second time. This time he will come in the glory of the Father and with the heavenly host here. And this time he does not come to bring peace. This time Revelation tells us he comes to bring a sword. He comes to judge the wicked. So my friend, please bow now to this Prince of Peace. Amen? Because you will bow later. Bow now in submission and in salvation Bow now later, bow later under his wrath and judgment. This is the hope of the gospel that we have in Christ. Listen, the pastors are here this morning. We'd love to talk to you more about what it means to trust in the Christ child that we read about this morning. What it means to truly have peace with God and no longer be at enmity with God. This is our invitation to you to come to us and we'll introduce you to the Savior. Amen? Join me as we pray together. Father, what a glorious announcement fitting for a glorious gospel. Good news that brings great joy to any and all people. Good news that brings glory to you, God, because you ordained this to happen. You set it in place. You sent your Son Christ accomplished our salvation. The Spirit applies our salvation. We as believers proclaim this good news of salvation. We thank you for sending your Son into the world to save sinners like us. I pray that this morning that many who are here would receive this true gift of Christmas, the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus. I pray that they would turn from their sin and trust in the Savior that they would surrender themselves to you, knowing that they are at war with their maker. I pray for us as believers that we would proclaim this good news. Go and telling it on the mountain. Go and proclaiming it in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces and among our friends and family. 
that Christ is born, the Savior, the Christ, the Lord. And Lord, we once again ask you to get yourself much glory this morning from the preaching of your word and the response of your people, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.